Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10 piece Wick Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba da ba ba ba. Go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And on the stack, we talk about a bunch of comic <laughs> books that have come out this week. We review them yeah. in the harshest manner possible. Just what? Absolutely. Uh, come on. Rip them no. to we love, we love comics. We well, talking about. I hate comics. Oh, that's, that's sort of like true. My that's been a personality. You shouldn't do a talk show about comic books then. Yeah, that's been a slow building poison, and this podcast <laughs> is all about Alex getting the poison out, as we say. <laughs> I'm coming at you live from the um, Hard Rock Casino in Hollywood, Florida, so <gasps> I am full of poison. <laughs> nice. Wow. Can you get uh, Bob Seeger upstairs? Who, who's somebody that plays yeah. it there? Hard Bob Seeger, yeah, he's right off mic here. <laughs> right oh, off. Wow. He's just warming up. He's. Turn the page? Is that what he does? Turn the uh, page? Oh, boy. Oh, Let's get geez. into it because we have a lot of comic books I want to talk, talk more about Florida, man. Uh, living in a casino must be rough. We'll uh, review Florida at the end of the podcast. Okay. Let's start off with comic books first, did. starting with Devil's Reign, number one from Marvel, written by Chip Starsky, art by Marco Cicchetto. We actually chatted about this event a little bit when we had Chip on our live show a couple of weeks yes. back, so go and listen to that podcast. But as he mentioned there, this is essentially the ongoing Daredevil title. He didn't quite understand why they spun it off into an event, but that's exactly what they did. So it's all good. Uh, so we are getting this oversized event where Kingpin is incensed because he doesn't know what Daredevil's identity is. So he goes ham on the entire city by releasing essentially a new superhero registration act, but just for New York. Um, I really like this uh, quite a bit. I've liked this whole run. I thought this was a smart riff on the classic Civil War storyline, but how'd you guys take it? I agree with you. I like the focus here. I feel like Chip Zdarsky with his Daredevil run has done a good job of telling a big story with a bunch of very smart detail focus points um, that that make it feel really unique and interesting. And I think this is uh, doing that here because I was like, when I sort of got the gist of it, I was like, oh, it's just another like villains recruited to capture heroes thing. But it's a great version of that, a great riff on it. And you really get to see everything through the character's eyes. Uh, I re- First off, the art's really amazing. You get a lot of great, fun splash pages in this. Also, it's a nice check-in of, like, who's in New York right now? Like, what heroes yeah. are where? You know, what are they up to? It's nice to kind of check in, see how everybody's doing, what's going on. I'm, I'm yeah, into it. The Fantastic Four, I can believe it. They live in New York. They're yeah. in, in New York still. I thought they were yeah. off-planet, but nope. 
No, this is a weird point to bring up, but I do think there is something to be said, particularly because Mayor de Blasio here in New York was like, hey, we're doing the most aggressive vaccine mandates possible here, which is a very positive thing, mind you. But it definitely reminded me hearing that and then reading this book being like, oh, yeah, New York always does this. New York's like, we're going to go harder than the rest of the country on whatever this thing is. So even though it is. You think New York's famous for going harder? Oh, here we go. Pete moved to Philadelphia, and now he's like, New York sucks. Get out of here with that shit. Your blood's mostly cheese whiz at this point, Pete. I don't need to listen to you. That's right. But I will say, I moved to Florida so I could podcast more freely than I could uh, in in New York. York. Yeah, there's so many things that I do think it feels like, even though it's Wilson Fisk is the mayor and it's still this riff on Trump, we get a tease that he might be doing a presidential run towards the end of the issue. It still does feel like a very New York thing to be, we're going to go more aggressive on these laws than anybody else. So it works for me. Although in comparison to Trump and Fisk there, Fisk wasn't as bad as I thought he was going to be when he was mayor in New York. Well, that's what the Wilson Fisk that's in the comics right now is someone who is like doing what he wants. He's not like a, you know, villain who's up to plans to like take over the world. He's like, I want to do this specific thing. And so I'm going to, work toward that and that's yeah. another thing i, mean, I like he about this legalized is, weed right out of the box i love that move i mean he was doing some cool stuff oh you're a fisk apologist <laughs> <laughs> i love a kingpin it is um, more nuanced like you're saying justin than just he's a straight up villain but i do think based on the events of this first issue part of the idea of devil's reign is to get kingpin back to that place where he is a big bad villain because yeah. he's Clearly been knocked out of peg to the point that his son, I believe, in this issue is like, get out of here, dad. Nobody wants to hear your criminal ideas. And he's like, "Okay, I guess I'll leave. He's definitely more of a pawn king than a kingpin uh, or pawn pin uh, than a kingpin. (laughs) But let me um, say one other thing. Oh, and I think Chip does a great job of really scooping up a lot of daredevil of like wildly different daredevil continuity. And putting it together and making it make sense without having to go into a bunch of like, so the purple yeah. man and his kids and all that yeah, stuff because yeah. it's so complicated. Also, it's you know that you know you can be an unbelievable person out in the real world, and your kids will always just take you down a peg. You know what I mean? Mm. Mm. Wow, you know this a, better a, than a anybody. Father. Pete. <laughs> Pete has kids. You talking about your cat? <laughs> your cat's taking you down. If you guys are wondering why Pete had to, had to leave New York, dot dot dot, just leaving that there. Oh, whoa. wow. <laughs> Moving to our next title, One Star Squadron, number one from DC Comics, written by Mark Russell, art by Steve Lieber, as you could probably tell from the, the team on board here, as well as the title. This is a satirical book about what happens when heroes actually need to make money. They end up in sort of an all-purpose organization that ostensibly is run by Red Tornado, but by the end of the issue is pretty much taken over by Power Girl. There's a bunch of Beyond D-list heroes, and I assume former villains who are in here, but I would say, as usual, with the Mark Russell book, there's a lot more going on than just the jokes. Steve Lieber knows how to draw this stuff excellently. I thought this was so much fun. Justin, what about you? I'll I'll turn to you first because I have a feeling Pete hated it. (laughs) (laughs) Pete doesn't like apps unless they're coming from a uh, TGI Friday's kitchen. Mm -hmm. The... uh, I, I, I do like this. I think we were talking about another Mark Russell book uh, recently where it's much more like straightforward superhero storytelling. Um, and this is like dipping back into the satire work there where, where he sort of made his bones, if you know what I mean, uh, Alex. Killed him. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, and, and this is really good. He does always bring in a great le- extra level of intrigue to these sort of comedy forward stories that he tells, which I love. And secondarily, there's an uh, economic anxiety that is in all of Mark Russell's b- b- books where it's like the characters can't make any money. And it stresses me out every time I read it. Um, and it feels like a real deep underpinning to all of his work. Pete, what did you think about this one? Yeah, this is super sad. I don't know why you would want to do this. It's like, hey, you love superheroes, you love action. Great. What if we took all that away and superheroes had to deal with fucking your life and how sad that is? Well, yeah, (laughs) keeping a job is fucking tough. Imagine if you wanted to fight crime as well. It's just it's a lot of reality in a comic book. And yeah, sometimes it's nice. Sometimes it's great. But this is fucking super depressing to see superheroes struggle like this, especially ones we know and love. Pete, you fantasized about being a hero your whole life. Isn't it about time they fantasized about being you? (laughs) (laughs) No, no. It's not two-way street. Let's move on to talk about crossover number 10 from Image Comics, written by Donny Cates, art by Jeff Shaw. This is a big, huge issue in the middle of this arc that's really pulling back a lot of what has been going on here. The arc's name is Meanwhile. We've been exploring things through the lens of the two characters from Powers, who have been interrogating people, found out that they were comic book... I mean, they knew they were comic book characters, but sort of were face-to-face with the idea that they were created by Brian Bendis and Michael Avon Oming. And in this issue, we meet Brian Bendis and Michael Avon Oming as characters. There's more inside baseball stuff about uh, comics and the comic book industry, leading to a big reveal at the end that is purposefully obvious, but also kind of a game-changer in terms of the book. I'm sure we can talk about all these things, but what did you guys think? I mean, I I do like this book. It is wild. This it's a little bit stressful because it's like watching a magician promise something crazy and be like, how is this magician going to pull this shit off? Because the stakes keep getting higher and the book keeps getting meta to the point where it's starting to be a concern. But got to give a shout out to our friend of the show, Neil Clyde, who gets a strong reference here alongside yeah. uh, a lot of, of Big big name comic book creators. Yeah, this is uh, this is definitely gone to crazy town. The art's <laughs> unbelievable. The kind of dipping into the power scene where they're being interrogated, but then when they kind of realize what's going on, it it gets a little kind of like. I don't know. It has been a huge event, and it has been a lot of fun. I'm a little worried about how meta and weird it's going to be, but the last page was still kind of fun and cool and six sword necklace bra. <laughs> If there's any weird magician who can pull it off, it's Donny Cates. Absolutely. And I think he is aware of what the high wire he's walking here with the storyline. So I'm very interested to see what happens to the next issue. I'm also interested to see what happens when we get back to the main storyline with whatever the next arc is. Because now that we've laid the groundwork for what's actually happening here, what's actually going on, how does that emotionally affect the characters going forward rather than just playing meta tricks on the audience? I think that that will point to the longevity of the book rather than just being a stunt. Uh, moving on to Captain America Iron Man number one from Marvel, written by Derek Landy, art by Angel Nzanetta. This is, as you can probably tell from the title, teaming up Captain America and Iron Man, which, as we talked about when they first teased this book, It's surprising that there hasn't really been a title like this before. You see them together in Avengers. You see them teaming up in their solo books. But how do they work as a team in a duo book like this? Pete, what did you think? Well, uh, it's it's kind of weird. Uh, Classic art. Um, But yeah, I, I... 
it's a little bit like I thought we had moved past this in some ways where like Tony Stark's still being a dick to women he slept with. And it's like, Tony, what are we doing here? Why, why are we doing this still? Uh, love the Captain America uh, action. You know, those two are definitely an odd couple. So putting them together is fun. But uh, I'm excited to see where this goes. This uh, very much did feel like sort of the Marvel version of World's Finest with Mm -hmm. uh, Superman and Batman hanging out. And I do think a lot of those issues sort of struggle a bit. They feel like it's like, oh, this is almost there where it's not quite as fun as it could be. And this stuff, this issue got into the Avengers initiative um, from way back where it was like all the all these wild heroes put together. And I like getting into that sort of woolier part of Avengers continuity where (laughs) where anybody could get in the door. Um, so I do think maybe once the tone sort of lands, because it does feel like from the beginning here, we're dealing with just like sort of top line stuff about Iron Man and uh, Captain America. I will DC. say I also really like the villain's perspective here, because what she wants to do very clearly, she states this. She doesn't want to take over the world. She doesn't want to tag with the Avengers. She just wants to do a little bit of crime. And that's pretty much it. And then Captain America and Iron Man and the Avengers Initiative or former Avengers Initiative are all coming after her. And that's fun. That is a fun setup. So to your point, Justin, I'm hopeful that we're going to see more of that fun going forward, but it needs to, it's interesting to hang it on Captain America in particular, who is usually a very serious straight up character. So a lot of that comedy potentially is going to lie with Iron Man. Curious how deep they're going to get into comedy as we go forward. I guess we'll see. Next up, Made in Korea. Just want to say, not surprised that you align with the villain. Thanks, Pete. Made in Korea, number six from Image Comics, written by Jeremy Holt, art by George Shaw. This is one of, if not my favorite, sci-fi books on the stands right now. In this issue, we get some big revelations about our central android as some big changes go through their life. Um, And we find out more about the AI that's powering it. What do you guys think about this one? Well, I have a question. Is this the last issue of this limited series? I don't think so. It kind of felt like it, though, didn't it? I, I thought it was six of six. And so that's what I was especially like. This is the end because the end sort of like it sort of moves quickly to the final point. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, so I guess we'll see what happens after that, after this. But yeah, this it's such a vi- smart visual book while at the same time just having great sci-fi scenes and dialogue going on um, right next to it. Can I ask you guys a question? Yeah. Like how many panels is too creepy to be staring at naked people in floaty, bubbly water? You know what I mean? Like, do you think that they walk that line or or, because I was reading, I was like, hey, man, maybe maybe move on to something else now. You know what I mean? You've been staring for a while, like maybe move on, check out something else, you know? When you see yourself in the mirror, how many panels do you do? (laughs) I mean, Pete, I understand (laughs) what you're saying here, but part a large part of this book, uh, first of all, has been about identity and uh, what is your identity, whether you're a robot AI or you're a human being, how does that affect what you do? Um, or you're a also, test tube type of Well, and, uh, hold on. And the other large part of it is dealing with the fact, particularly for these robot characters, is like how much of them is their body versus their mind. And ultimately with the main character, I'll spoil the ending here, but the main character realized, pretty early on that they're not a girl, they're male 
uh, f- facing, and then by the end they're able to take their AI and put it in a male body. So I think that's a large part of that sequence. We don't get a sexual sequence, you know, that is offered to the scientist character, and he just looks at them because he looks at them as just as bodies without minds. That's all they are. Yeah, uh, and that's what we're dealing with here. I think that's really interesting and it's nuanced in terms of its delivery. That's well, why we see those bodies. Okay. All right. For let me let me back up the truck a little bit here and just say, uh, you know, what you're saying is very smart and 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 interesting because it is this thing of like, you know, a lot of people feel like they're in the wrong body, and that is a cool kind of thing to explore in comic books, like identity, what's really what, what's consciousness, what is real, all these kinds of things. But let's just say, you know, like uh, you have a creepy kind of like chamber in your house and you invite some guests over Which to we, kind of walk around. I think around. we all do. Sure. Do you, if, you know, Again, like, Pete, we don't want to get into why you left New York, but go ahead. Right, right. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah. But I just think that there's a there's a scientific way to look at things and express things and look. And then there is some looking at some things where it's like, hey, now I'm worried about that person. And I feel like they walk that line a little bit. Hmm. Right. I'll also mention <laughs> wow. that I did look it up and it is six of six. You guys are correct. So I'll jump on the bad wagon there. Weird ending. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but still, um, really bet... good book and very worth checking yes, out regardless. Yes, the art's but unbelievable. You... There's some really great storytelling. We're having some fun. But yeah, this this was a, uh, a definitely a must pick up. I really loved it. I think to your point, though, Alex, it's not a super big narrative ending. It felt more like a thematic uh, mm-hmm. coming to a head here. Is when the, I think the points you made are what makes this book so so good, and it really put that out there finally in a big way in this final issue. Bruce Wayne may appear to be a wealthy playboy, but beneath this facade, his true identity is that of the Batman, waging an endless war against crime. Join the Cape Crusader in Batman, the audio adventures, the first scripted audio original featuring Batman and his villainous rogues gallery in a world premiere story of life and death in Gotham City, debuting exclusively on HBO Max, starring Jeffrey Wright as Batman and a who's who of incredible Saturday Night Live alums. This rollicking adventure told across 10 episodes is written and directed by Emmy winner Dennis McNichols, including devilishly delightful original music by Doug Bossy and performances by Rosario Dawson, John Liguizamo, Chris Parnell, Melissa Villanueva-Senor, Seth Meyers, Jason Sudeikis, Brooke Shields, Fred Armisen, and many, many more. Go to hbomax.com backslash Batman Audio Adventures for more and stream Batman, the audio adventures only on HBO Max. Next up, World of Krypton, number one from DC Comics, written by Robert Vendetti and drawn by comic book character Michael Avon Oming. Uh, This (laughs) is going back in time and showing us, as you can tell from the title, but it's showing us Jor-El and Zod and all the rest of the characters on Krypton before the planet exploded. In fact, it takes place at the time of Karazor-El's birth, just to give you a little bit of a timeline there. And uh, as usual, a lot of political intrigue. What do you guys think about this one? I I really love the art. I thought this was, this won me over because I'm over Krypton stories. I think we've done a lot. I'm not excited for more Krypton stories. The TV show but, Krypton you're talking about. Well, no, I'm just talking about they in haven't general. done a lot of Krypton stories. Uh, 
I disagree. Famously, Krypton is a place we left very early on and have <laughs> hardly returned to. There, there's been a lot of Krypton stuff. Anyways, I was won over by this. I think this is a cool story. I thought it was very interesting. I was very surprised how much fun this was. Uh, but man, the the story and the art meet together in such a magical way in this book. Definitely worth checking out. I thought this was really good too. Um, I, I like the art. It must be hard for a comic book character to draw all this art for another comic mm-hmm. book, especially yeah, whoever's drawing. Weird. Whoever's drawing Michael Avon Oming has to draw him drawing all the comic book art that's in this book, which what? is just time consuming. Oh. Uh, but Florida it, this, uh, sounds crazy. Uh, they just hotbox the whole hotel. Uh, the this is a great uh, story. Like I like they they set up this political intrigue really quickly, and there's this underlying stress of all the the thought beasts go down hard in this issue. Um, mm-hmm. I'll, I just want to throw in real quick with Pete here. I do actually think they've done a lot of Krypton stories, and I'm not always into them. Sorry, Pete. Uh, I mean, sorry, Justin. I guess. But wow, is it? It's a, Reflex to say sorry, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> like, sorry, Pete. I won't. I mean, just. I mean, but Joe. this did win me over. And uh, like Pete, also, I think a lot of it is Mike Avon Oming has really leveled up in terms of his art. He was always good, but there's a lot of. Um, I should have written down the whoever did the inks and the coloring here. I don't know if it was him as well, but I think overall it just really elevates his art in a really nice way. It's very slick. It's very angular. It almost feels like. Um, you know, like a mosaic that you're looking at from history in a certain way, which his art is always mm. very angular, but it works really nicely. Um, so yeah, the story won me over from Robert Venditti, always very solid. Um, but the art to me was the hero here. I think it's worth it for the art alone. Ah. <laughs> oh no, he has become LePage. <laughs> Let's move on though and talk Ooh. about one that I'm sure isn't divisive. Inferno number three from Marvel, Jonathan <laughs> Hickman, art by Arby Sol. Uh, Stefano Caselli and Valero Schiti. This is continuing a storyline that's supposed to be a game changer in terms of the X-Men. We spent the first half of the book talking about the most important character in X-Men history, Cypher, and going back in time and showing everything that's been going on with him, with Warlock, with Krakoa, leading up to the current day. And then the second half of the issue shows how Destiny and Mystique, working off information given to them by Emma Frost, pull a huge trap on Moira McTaggart, on Magneto, and also on Professor Xavier, leading into a big cliffhanger in terms of what's going to happen with all of them. Um, and leading to, I think, finally getting to the sense of what this Inferno is here, because everything is going to blow up in terms of the X-Men and potentially their Everything's going to burn. Uh, I, I said, oh, shit, silently to myself so many times when I was reading this book. This, to me, is the absolute best of what House of X and Powers of Ten brought back in the day. This was great. I love this. What? Pete's laughing because he agrees so hard. Go ahead, Justin. Yeah, exactly. It's very funny how hard he agrees with you uh, to me and everyone. Uh, I think, I mean, I, I agree with you, Alex. This is such a big issue. It's very funny to me that so much of Jonathan Hickman's big, big issues are like going back and being like, and here's the part I didn't tell you about the story. And that's exactly what he's doing here. He's like, look, Professor X has been doing a bunch of bad shit the whole time. And Cypher, the old human thesaurus here, has been the one executing it. And you see him slowly like start to feel worse um, about all the bad shit that he's doing. I thought that was cool. Fun backstory. And then setting up just like, 
this long-term conflict of mutants versus humans versus robots that we've uh, been having, basically this issue says, nope, it's happening now. That's what the Inferno is. Everything's going down, and it's much worse for everyone, really, because the, we see that on the robot side, they're like, hey, the mutants keep winning, and the mutants are always like, everyone else keeps winning. We never win. So it's like everyone's equally mad, so that means the conflict is going to be nasty. This is part of the, the frustration for me um, when it comes to Hickman is that he's so detailed. There's so much going on, but he, he won't address things until he wants to. Like we got to this fuck island years ago and then it was like, oh, yeah, by the way, you can create people and spit all this stuff out. And we don't find out how until now, you know, so it was like such a thing like I was. As someone that's not having fun in this whole thing, I was like, oh, my God, this is useful information that I can actually understand. Oh, great. Here is something that I can, like, get excited about. But then at the end of the fucking issue, you're going to have fucking Nimrod standing there looking like a tough guy. That's your big last page. Go fuck yourself. Nimrod. It's a ridiculous name that should not. You can't say Nimrod and then say something important. It doesn't work. Like, you, <laughs> Would you prefer he was called dumbass? It Ooh, might as well be. Oh, you're so angry. You're breaking up, Pete. Uh, the, <laughs> here, here's what I would say. And this is definitely a very personal thing. And I know we all have our personal things with the X-Men, with our history, with comics. But one of the first issues I ever read of X-Men is the one where Nimrod is back in time and destroys the Hellfire Club. And mm-hmm. uh, what's his name? Uh, I'm forgetting the guy who uh, uh, Fabian Cortez. No, it's not Fabian Cortez. There's a guy in the Hellfire Club. He was only in it very briefly. But one of uh, the first things Nimrod does is he comes in. He's floating through Central Park, and the Hellfire Club is like, "Who are you? We're going to fight you. We're all powerful." And he's like, "Okay," and then disintegrates one of the guys in the Hellfire Club, and that. I stuck with me and I was like, oh, I am all in on these comics forever at this point. That is one of the most hardcore things I've ever seen. So I think that's what hooked you. Tom Cassidy, who famously can channel energy through wood. (laughs) Uh, No, not black Tom Cassidy either. I'll try to. It's like Wesley or something. It's some very minor character in Hellfire Club ultimately. But that being one of the first issues that really stuck with me. So I don't think that's a fair way necessarily to evaluate this issue in terms of Nimrod. But certainly in terms of Nimrod being a badass, that's why I believe it. A badass and not a dumbass. You can't say <laughs> Nimrod and badass. It doesn't make sense. The fucking guy's name is Nimrod. You Here's can't the other do thing shit. going on. Here's the other thing going on in this issue, which I think is absolutely wild, and only Jonathan Hickman could arguably pull off, is the fact that we're dealing with multiple alternate universes, all powered by Moira McTaggart's mutant power, but also dealing with multiple time travelers going back and altering the timeline that Moira McTaggart has already altered. So you have, and they put it How out does on the map, sense? a timeline at the end. There's Moira Taggart's timeline, which she's now in her 10th life, but also we have timeline, I believe, A and B at the same point. So there's not only alternate yeah. universes going on, there's also multiple timelines. So How I get are you it. having it's fun? How are you having fun right now? This is not fun. I also enjoy jigsaw puzzles. Okay. All right. First off, <laughs> we got to reveal... That Charles Xavier is a piece of shit, always have been. And I mean, they revealed of, that a long time ago. There's I know, a very but it's famous one of those, cover about that. Yeah, the, but the problem I'm having is... It's Kitty go- pointing at the uh, audience and saying, Professor Xavier is a piece of shit. It was a big <laughs> yeah. deal at the time. 
Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Very controversial. So, but ease up, Kitty Pride. Wow. We have this monster, and it just sucks that he, it, he's not growing. He's not getting any better. He can, continues to be a piece of shit. And then... I, uh, it's just very frustrating. It's hard to get into this event. And every time I'm given like a little bit of like, Ooh, I can understand. I can get on board. Then they fucking activate Nimrod. And it's just, I'm all done. And uh, the reveal that Charles Xavier is a piece of shit is just, it's upsetting. It's really upsetting. Was, again, I don't think that was, a big did you see the way well, he was treating fucking what? It just throwing a bag at eh, whatever, figure it out. I'll see you in year. Peace. I mean, I, P, I hear you, but it's going to get scarier, I promise. Because next issue, they activate the other Sentinels from the future, Goof Troop and Dingleberry. <laughs> and when they get there, it's going to get really badass. That's oh, going to be badass. Uh, is the, the, I'm trying to get the Hellfire name. Is it Trevor Fitzroy? Yes. <laughs> I, think that, I think that's who it is. I like is he a little... Uh, that was some bothering uh, you. Does you he have a, uh, is he bigger boned? This character, Trevor Fisher? Uh, I don't think so. It is funny. So many members of the Hellfire Club are named, are just names. (laughs) Like, (laughs) is it Dan Stevens? It's like, I don't know. (laughs) Star of Legion. He was at the Hellfire Club. I guess that makes sense. All right. Why don't we move on to another one that I'm going to guess maybe Pete did like. Buffy the Last Vampire Slayer, number one from Mm. Boom Studios. Written by Casey Gilley. Art by Joe Jarrow. This is a classic uh, old man Logan style story, except here it's oh. old man Buffy. Um, she's got to pop the pop those stakes one more time, but can she do it? I guess we'll see. Teaming up with a young kid by the end, a new Slayer in a world where vampires have taken over. Pete, what did you think about this one? Uh, yeah, I agree. This is just classic fun, good times. I loved it. Yeah, staking some vamps. Let's do it. Um, I've been sort of a little bit down on some of the other Buffy stuff because it felt a little um, like there wasn't a lot of story to tell. They were just sort of uh, treading water. And this is, obviously makes a bunch of big moves. And I liked this um, a lot more. I hope they can still find the fun in here because this did feel like Old Man Logan where everyone's sad all the time. Harry Leland, by the way. Harry Leland. Oh, wow. Harry would have Leland. Never, would have never landed that. <laughs> also, Harry what a all, weird superhero name. <laughs> My name is Harry Leland. Hello. <laughs> Can I sell you insurance? <laughs> I thought this book was great as well. I, I agree with you, Justin, that I've been a little iffy about some of the Buffy stuff, but this is a clear concept. And it's just kind of over the plate in terms of the, oh, I can't yeah. be a slayer. Am I going to be a slayer? Of course you're going to be a slayer. You're going to slay some vampires. We're going to see that happen. But it, it's satisfying when you hit those beats properly. This is also a very interesting, very different world because it's not post-apocalypse buddy, Buffy. If anything, you kind of have vampires and humans sort of living in harmony. And that's the yeah. apocalypse that we're dealing Whoa. with, which is a very interesting riff on it. Yeah, Buffy and apocalypse are Buffy because she can't stake. And she exactly. loves staking. She loves it. Moving on to what's the furthest place from here? Number two from Image Comics, written by Matthew Rosenberg, art by Tyler Boss. We had Matthew mm-hmm. on the show a couple of weeks uh, back talking about this book. It's great. This is Saturday post-apocalypse, where a bunch of kids have formed different warring clans that are very specific. One of them lost one of their members and ventures out into the world to track her down. And in this issue, we get to see a lot of other different very creepy clans. I continue to love this book, and in particular, Tyler Boss's art is very creepy and very scary, and I like it quite a bit. Yeah, I agree. This is super creepy and scary. David freaked me the fuck out, that guy. Uh, 
But yeah, I love the paneling. I love the art of this. This is just like um, it sets this kind of creepy, intense pace that I very much enjoy. Yeah, it's starting to have this sort of Warriors, uh, Lord of the Flies uh, energy to it as well, in addition to some of the other stuff we've talked about uh, in last issue. And it's really fun. I like that they keep building out the world here, um, finding the new families. And I'm very curious to see whether this turns out to be supernatural in the long run. There's certainly things that seem supernatural, but that might be the way the boss is laying out the art. Um, It might be a totally scientific quote-unquote explanation but it really could go either way and that's an interesting place for the book to be in also it's very funny and matthew rosenberg is always yeah. very funny he's a funny the guy Bergy. yeah he does uh, it so well really good, a good writer this is a good one to jump on right now also oversize we should mention this issue was 48 pages yeah. i think the last issue was like 60 something pages so Ooh. very big book very worth the money speaking of giant size books though giant size black cat number one from marvel written by jed mckay art by cn yes. villa this is the final issue of black cat as we get the uh, reveal of why Justin. she needs all the current beings that are infested with infinity stones justin you've been a huge fan <laughs> of this run how do you Ooch. think that it all tied up I, I thought it was great. We find this uh, the this run chasing down the Infinity Stones has been um, sort of like Black Cat entering the cosmic realm. So it feels a little bit of a mismatch. And you're like, what is the deal? Why is she doing this? And we get the reveal that it's to save her mother who's dying of cancer. And you, there's such an emotional punch. You see why she's like going up against literal cosmic beings to, to do this. She figures it out, gets thrown in jail. A fitting end for um, this great run by Jed McKay. And it's just a book that had no, it did not need to be as good as it was. And it just was. It brought in themes of like how we uh, become who we are. Like we look up to people who may be bad. Uh, the, uh, how her crew is, becomes her family, uh, intentional families in life. And it's just like, it's just a great book. If you want to pick up something that it's like superhero affair, that's great storytelling and, and touching on some nice emotional moments, get into this run. Yeah, I was really uh, impressed with this and what an emotional reveal and just very cool. Uh, You know, a lot of times you get some back and forth banter that is just supposed to be quippy and fun. uh, But just kind of like the reveal of why she's doing this was such a cool thing. And like to kind of like realize her master plan as we saw these epic shots of all the different floors of the hospital. Uh, I thought this was just really well-designed comic, really great art, just a, a ton of fun and a great black cat story, you know? As you touched on, Pete, one of my absolute favorite parts of the issue was there's several double-page spreads where CF Villa shows what is happening on different floors of the hospital with different oh, yeah. characters all at the same time, and they're awesome. It's not... I feel like we've seen this sort of thing a little bit before, but it's usually very flat, almost like a video game level. Here, it has a 3D feel to it. As you see the corner of the hospital in this cutaway, yeah. this cross-section, it's so cool. This is, Like you said, Justin, great run, really well done, went much harder than it needed to. And it's not easy to write heist stuff, and all of this was really no. well constructed. Great Nick Fury in here as well, a character you don't see actually get to do stuff very often, and it was well done. Next up, Superman, Son of Kal-El, annual number one from DC Comics, written by Tom Taylor, art by Steve Pugh. In this issue, the new Superman, John Kent, Pugh Pugh, uh, the new Superman, John Kent, (laughs) and Lex Luthor finally come face to face. And things do not go the way Lex expects necessarily, as John Kent is not 
a clone of his father. Uh, I, as usual, really liked the way this rolled out. I think Tom Taylor is doing some really, really smart stuff with John Kent currently. Uh, and I'm very interested to see how this Luther Superman dichotomy is different than the previous one. I think Tom Taylor is really smart. And I think you have this situation where you have a new Superman taking over for his dad who doesn't like Lex Luthor naturally. But he takes it. So there are two choices. He can just be harder or more intense and go after Lex Luthor in a different way. Or maybe a whole new relationship emerges that is something totally new. And I think the story here really takes that second path and it makes for a much better read. And maybe it's not just the standard superhero supervillain relationship where they're always trying to get after each other and it is more of a chess match which is the sort of metaphor they use here and there are moves and moves back and and everything as it's being played out so i thought this was a great starting point for the lex superman relationship uh you know alex had mentioned like some oh shit moments i laughed out loud at the uh, the the take the l moment that was really great um yeah i i I think this is, uh, you know, I'm. This is a. Uh, I'm excited about the son of Superman. This is uh, this is it's new enough. It's different enough. There's a, a lot of different stuff going on, so I'm very excited. Overall, though, I'm sick of Lex Luthor. I wish somebody would just snap this asshole's neck and we can get on with Jesus. our lives. Jesus, holy shit! Oh my god, hardcore. You're like, I like Wilson Fisk. Don't like Lex Luthor. Yeah, big difference between two. Very similar. I I will say not not as much difference as uh, he's like. If you ever played ice hockey in the original Nintendo, yeah, Wilson Fisk is like the the big guy, and Lex is the little guy. That's right. (laughs) The Silver Coin, number seven from Image Comics, written by Ram V, art by Michael Walsh. In this issue, our evil coin takes a trip to Las Vegas for (laughs) Vegas, baby, Vegas. Vegas. You like nasty money? You're gonna love this book. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it is very intense in this issue, as usual, very bloody, very gross, but this series is so good. Um, It reminded me, in particular, this issue a lot of Ice Cream Man, another Image Comics book we like quite a bit. Take it easy, take it easy. Because... They are weaving in some sort of mythology, not just about the silver coin, but also other characters who tie into the silver coin here and other mythology that they might be tied into, uh, which is sort of this underlying thing of the series. It's an anthology, but there's a little bit more going on. I really like this quite a bit. I think this series is one of my favorites, top of the stack that I look forward to every time it comes out. It is, it's just a great horror anthology uh, with a lot of like the talent, the writing and art talent are people like, I'm already reading other books and they're coming here and just telling like a banger horror story where nothing goes well for anyone. Um, so it does feel, I mean, we're in the bag for Ice Cream Man, so if naturally we're in the bag for uh, the Silver Coin as well. I disagree. I, I felt like a Silver Coin is. I said a- we. Yeah, you. I'm not in that. Okay, um, I, I think we it's are we, Pete. No, no, you, you and Alex can be a couple, but I, whatever. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, uh, I, <laughs> I, I have been really enjoying all the silver coin issues up until this one. I felt like this one was a little bit of a letdown, um, and I, I liked how it started. Very powerful. Very. Uh, like cool the way it kind of cut to like present day or whatever um but yeah I, it's just one of those things where it's like 
I don't know. What are we doing? You know what I mean? Like other, the other stories felt a little deeper, felt like there was more going on. This is just kind of a gambling orgies. Well, you just don't, you don't like gambling and orgies, which yeah. again is something you can talk about when you explain why you had to leave New York. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> thanks. Yeah. Yeah. What would you think about a crossover between ice cream man and the silver coin with Pete? I'm going to throw this out to you. I think you like this, some sort of ice cream coins. <laughs> Damn it! You got me. You got me. Uh, I would definitely ice cream coins. Got me, the, me up. You had me at ice cream coins. <laughs> Buckhead number one from Boombox, written by Shobo, art by George Cambadius. Uh, this is about a kid that moves to a new town and discovers a lot of weird things are going on. Um, I like a lot of the Boombox stuff. I liked a lot of the ideas in here. I had, frankly, a little bit of a hard time holding on to what the concept was necessarily, but I am intrigued enough to check out the second issue. What about you guys? Uh, yeah, I feel like the this is one of those first issues that really needs the second issue to finish, finish explaining what's actually happening. Um, it feels like it's a virtual reality. You've slipped. You don't realize you're living inside a simulation situation here. Um, but I do think this was good. I like the characters. The art's cool. Um, a good grasp of like how these kids uh, talk and are uh, dealing with themselves and each other. So I'll definitely pick up the second issue. Yeah. I mean, the art's the real hero here. It's really fantastic. Uh, You know, it's just kind of like this kid going to school realizes everybody's chipped up and he's not chipped. So what does that mean? I mean, he has a zit on his head. I mean, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of fun stuff. Zit or chip. Zero yeah, exactly. chip you have to choose. You know, I go zit all day. But um, I think it's uh, it's interesting enough that I really want to check out the second issue. Um, uh, they did a good enough job of giving us this kind of weird world and what's going to kind of happen. Yeah. But I hear what you're saying, Alex. It's kind of like, wait, what? Yeah, I, I mean, I think the question here, which hopefully, again, not to repeat ourselves, but uh, potentially will be answered in the second issue, is this all one thing, these weird things that are going on, or is it an eerie Indiana-type situation where it's a town oh. with a bunch of weird <laughs> things happening? Everybody knows what I'm talking about. I don't need to explain myself. Definitely. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> yeah. eerie, eerie Indiana. Indiana. Eerie Indiana. Uh, moving on to a final issue here, Amazing Fantasy number 5 from Marvel by Kare Kyle Andrews. This has taken a class Spider-Man, Captain America, Black Widow, and a couple of other characters throwing them into a weird fantasy world where finally they find out what's going on and, uh, spoiler, manage to escape by the end. But not only that, we get another character who dies frequently showing up here that gives an indication of why this is Kare Andrews' overarching idea for the Marvel Universe. Pete, what do you think about this Wolverine guest-starring issue? Yeah, so, yeah, that was nice. Uh, you know, there's, I didn't, you know, whatever, there's weird kissing stuff going on. It's a fantasy spoiler alert. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I felt like it kind of woke up and he's like, oh, was that all a dream moment? I was like, oh, what's happening? But I, I don't know. The art's really great. There's some weird stuff, but also it's very cool. I don't know, man. If you, it, it's worth it for the art, but the story gets weird. This this book seemingly broke, uh, Pete LePage. Uh, That's right. Yeah, <laughs> and I will say I do think I know why because this feels like a comic from the '60s that is sort of just blown out and drawn beautifully. Where it's like the story is like doesn't quite make sense, but it's got a bunch of like fun, interesting elements that don't. They put it dragons in there, oh, so it's yeah. like okay. 
it's like they had to hurry up and get it out so they made this but that's the old this feels like the art is beautiful the story is uh fantastical and wild and i appreciate that one moment i wanted to reference um peter parker is uh uncle ben is dying once again in the issue peter's in his spider-man outfit and ben looks up and goes why are you dressed like a spider and I'm like, he's not dressed like a spider. First off, Uncle Ben, no one would look at Spider and be like, hey, look, there's a guy dressed like a spider. So busted, Uncle Ben. I don't know what you're talking about. I also had an issue with the whole idea that every time Wolverine dies, he goes to this mystical island where Uncle Ben lives. Because canonically, we know when Wolverine dies, he goes to he hell goes and to fights hell. a guy. Yeah, he fights yeah, a guy with a sword. We yeah. all know and love this idea. So. Also, it's weird because <laughs> Spider-Man is shirtless with a mask on that looks nothing like a spider. For Uncle Ben to be... That's what you would, Justin was saying. Yes. I know. It would just yeah. be... You would think maybe the first thing he would say is like, aren't you cold? You know, like now, did you guys notice that when Uncle Ben saw Spider-Man, he was wearing a mask and he didn't look like a spider and that bothered me. Did you guys notice that? <laughs> yeah. Batman number 118 from DC Comics written by Joshua Williamson, art by Jorge Molina and Mikkel Janine. This is kicking off Joshua Williamson's run on Batman after the long and critically acclaimed run by James Tyne IV. Here, we're working in the Batman Inc. characters as Batman leaves Gotham City, goes abroad to involve, uh, check out a new mystery. What would you guys think about this? I, I I thought it really had some great beats. I really love the villain party. And, you know, spoiler, I don't want to ruin it for people, but the uh, Batman dressed up as Krilla. Killer Croc was really fun. And then he had like a nice reflections moment, which was really cool. Um, I I think that the art's great. I'm I'm gonna pick up the next issue. I'm a little worried about like uh what's what's gonna happen or how we're gonna move forward with Batman since we had like a new change of guard on the team. But uh I thought they did a great job with this issue. Uh, yeah, I I like the new the new tone feels a little lighter and more fun than Batman yep. that Agreed. we've had for a while. So I'm here for that. I'm not a huge fan of Batman Inc. I feel like it just is such a crazy muddy situation. So uh, maybe that's not to say that's just a pet peeve. So we'll see how this mystery goes. I love Batman having a little bit more fun and tracking down a mystery though. So I'm definitely going to pick up more of this new Joshua Williamson run. Next up, Post Americana number seven from Image Comics by Steve Scrochi. This is the last issue, I believe, of this book as we yeah. tie up the wild, insanely over the top, grossly so bloody post apocalyptic tale here. Um, but uh, like I think we've talked about with every issue, even in this last issue, which continues to be gross, continues to be bloody, profane, uh, insanely, just there's an egg fighting people and cursing all the time yeah. and things like that. Very fun. Like there was a fun and ultimately very positive tone to this at the end here that I was very surprised by and very pleased to see. So I really like the series quite a bit. What about you guys? Yeah, this yeah, is it feels just, sort of the same. It goes yeah, so hard. Uh, and it's a lot of like someone picking up their toy box and banging all the things where you got your action figures and with guns and stuff. And then you're like younger brother stuff with a bunch of egg people and like little plush uh, dragons, just shaking them all up and being like, here's the story. Um, so it definitely takes some unexpected turns. 
Yeah, I, I really do think that, like, I'm a sucker for cute things holding guns. I think it's hysterical. Um, so there is just, like, there's a lot of, like, meshing up of different things. But the action is over the top. I love the swearing. It's really fun. Um, yeah, kind of a crazy ending. And uh, the dude with the half of Mickey Mouse arm is was always enjoyable. Agreed. Next up, Archie's Holiday Magic Special Number 1 from Archie Comics, written by Mikel Osto, Michael Northrup, and Jay Torres, art by Greta Lusky, Ariel jo- Jovalanos, and Dan Schoening. This is three short holiday tales uh, from Archie in different styles and different eras. We don't exactly get the Christmas Carol story, but we do get to see Archie past, present, and future. And I really enjoyed this. I thought these were very fun stories. I love the different styles that they were told in, the different Archie comic styles. The past one is a little more classic. The present one is a little more like modern Archie, and the third one is a little more Riverdale. Um, I thought they were really well done. I thought they were good. Uh, what did you guys think? Yeah, I mean, you know, this is just kind we of... We know cl- you don't like Archie Classic, Collins, yeah, this is classic <laughs> old-school Archie stuff, so, you know, you kids have fun. Oh, thanks, Pete. Um, I really liked the present. Uh, the way that the, all the stories sort of folded in on each other I thought was really cool. Um, and the sort of real ramifications of Archie being Archie I thought was uh, well explored here. And if you like Jughead, he sure ate a lot of food. In this. <laughs> ate, ate a lot of latkes. I appreciate the fact that he included a kind of Hanukkah story, despite the fact that Dilton Doily, I believe, is the only canonically Jewish character in Archie comics. So yeah. uh, that was appreciated. They they didn't get into a lot of the <laughs> history, no. perhaps. No, not necessarily. Next up, The Swamp Thing, number 10 from DC. Comics written by Ram V, art by Mike Perkins. This is bringing Swamp Thing right up against his brother, who is some sort of red thing, slightly underclear, while a bunch of corporations are vying in the background. Um, I am so glad we got away from the Suicide Squad arc, because this is really, I think, where this book should live. It's horrifying. It's dealing with the history of the character. Mike Perkins' art is amazing. Uh, Really, really dug this issue quite a bit. As a couple of guys who've been rereading Swamp Thing by Alan Moore, I think it actually really helps a lot where you get a little bit of backstory on some of the larger sort of uh, green themes here. And then we get Woodrow popping in to be almost the same Woodrow from the Alan Moore run, less the super villainy uh, version that's been in the DC uh, universe lately, and more this sort of nefarious doctor who's just trying to get a piece of the Swamp Thing. So I thought this was really cool and apropos for us. Um, this series got an extra two issues um, from editorial because it's been, I guess, selling so well or doing good work. So very psyched for that. I like this run a lot. Yeah, I really like the the ending. I thought it was fun. And I think this is like, you know, sometimes for me, Swamp Thing gets a little too crazy. I thought this stayed in the Swamp Thing pocket enough. You know, Swamp I just disagree- pocket. Yeah, the Swamp Pocket. I disagree with Zalbin. Like, Swamp I liked- Pocket. <laughs> I liked uh, the Suicide Squad stuff, but I thought they did a great job of bringing this home here and kind of uh, owning the kind of ending on its own. So, yeah, I thought it was a great classic kind of Swamp Thing stale, uh, story. The Scumbag, number 11 from Image Comics, written by Rick Remender, art by Roland Boshi. In this issue, our scumbag finally betrays officially uh, the organization he was recruited by, tries to fix his friends, but nobody likes him as usual. One of the things that I love about this book is this slow march towards him being a fully rounded human being. They give him like 
a centimeter per issue, but yeah. that movement is so nice and so interesting to read in the middle of all the crazy weirdness that's happening. Yeah, I mean, it, like a lot of Rick Remender books, you, the character really has to go through like the worst shit to then come out and be a little bit better. Like the level yeah. of punishment he puts his characters through versus what they learn or gain out of it is always way out of whack. But that's what we, we love about Rick Remender. And this book is fun and much wilder than some of, some of his other work. It reminds me of um, his first uh, book back in the day. Um, what's it called? Uh, we all know this. Fear Agent? Fear Agent, yes. A very Fear Agent energy here. Um, very fun. I mean, <clears throat> Rick Remender is an amazing writer. He has uh, done amazing things that I absolutely love. But this guy being a scumbag, I'm kind of... Yeah, I get it. It's the world's fate rests on the worst person. Ah, da, 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 da. And it's just it's just getting old seeing him not grow. Uh, it's very little. And I would hope at this point uh, we would get a little bit more growth in him. But he kind of is back to his old tricks in this one. Uh, although He's you get back, point, Pete. He, he do oh. get points for the golden brown eye. Yeah, OK. All right. That was funny. All right. Thanks for <laughs> distributing your points for the episode. Next up, Nick's number two from Dynamite, written by Christos Gage, art by Mike Mark Borstel. This is like we talked about with the first issue. This is like a fire, half fire demon, half human lady. Um, I think we were all pretty surprised at how good this book was with the first issue. Um, it was funny. It was dark. It was interesting. The action was really good. This issue, Nick's travels down to a hell dimension to confront her father. I like this even better than the first issue. I thought, again, very funny. Uh, I thought the confrontation was really interesting and surprising. It's almost like a raven trigod thing, but a little jokier that's going on here. Um, and it's really elevating it past the initial premise of the book, which, like a light of dynamite books, is like, hey, you like this? You like this lady? And it's pushing past that and giving it... It is, honestly. I don't like that. I don't think that's interesting. But here, I think what Christos yeah. Gage in particular is doing is infusing a lot of character and a lot of humanity into here, uh, like he does with the best of his books. Well, I'd like to agree yeah, with I you. Love... Oh, go ahead, Justin. Oh, no, you go. You go. No, no, no. I'd like All Pete wanted to say was, I'd like to agree with you, so the I do. End, go ahead. <laughs> no, I'd like to agree with you, but we have the main character in a fucking G-string and a broad top. So it's like, let's That's what she's comfortable it. wearing, Pete. I get it. That's what she let, let her be comfortable, okay? Yeah, it's hot in hell. Yeah, you what do you want her to wear? A, like uh, a bodice? I don't know. I it's just if we're gonna push past it, let's stop oppressing women, Pete. I'm Let them wear whatever they that. want. Yeah, they can. No. Uh, you just um, when you... no, I I agree with you. <laughs> this is this is my problem with dynamite books. This is why I don't like reading a lot of this stuff. Is there's no reason for that person to be dressed like that other than to be like yeah yeah yeah. And the fact that the story is so good, it gets me past that. That's what I appreciate about it. Um, do Does she need to be wearing that? Probably not. I, I would be more likely to read the book if she wasn't, but also it is what it is. It's a good Christos Gage story here. Um, I mean, all the things you're talking about are definitely uh, true, but at the end of the day, it's like 
it's a, a character, a story about a character demanding uh, to find humanity or her like uh, being happy. Um, and it's, it's good. I really like getting to that point. Uh, start from a starting point of, it was just like this character just murders people in a bathing suit. And now we're getting to like a quest for happiness and humanity. Like that's, that's cool. I agree. Last but not least, Dark Knights of Steel, number two from DC Comics, written by Tom Taylor, art by Yasmin Putri. This is Tom Taylor essentially doing 1602, but for the DC universe, we're seeing all of these characters back in time with some big riffs on them. After the murder of Jor-El by Green Arrow in the last issue, we're dealing with the ramifications fallout of that. Things get predictably much, much worse as we find out about some new family members. What do you think about the second issue? You want to talk about some oh shit moments. This this issue was insane. Like the, you know, spoilers, but like, oh yeah, you killed my dad. I'm just going to drop your son from the sky. Like, holy shit. This is really yeah. intense. But also I love Batman in this issue. Like the catching arrows and jumping off horses and being like, I see you. That shit was intense. And I loved it. I love this book. This is so fun. It's a great riffs on all the, the main DC characters and setting up a great conflict here uh, between the two kingdoms. Uh, this is one of my favorite reads in its first two issues. And, yeah. oh, go ahead, Pete. Also, I love the uh, the old stats thing. You get Batman stats, you know, charisma. Yeah, this guy's got Fucking, great stamina. Stamina we know, okay, but charisma, That I thought that was cool. Yeah, his charisma could do use a little work. Let me be uh, no, dude. You know, he's got a lot of charisma. <laughs> Maybe he needs to re-roll. I guess we'll see what happens. If you like this podcast and want to support it, Patreon.com/slash Comic Book Club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at seven PM to Crowdcast on YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about comic books. iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, ComicBookClubLive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, we'll see you at the Comic Book Shop. For our main fight tonight, we have Harry Leland versus Dingleberry, <laughs> sponsored by Swamp Pocket. <laughs> Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.